0: mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord and risen Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. How long should a sermon be? There was an article on Christianity Today that said that in surveying members in the pew and pastors in the pulpit, the pew said they were six times more likely to say the sermon lasted over an hour and the pastors in the pulpits were two times as more likely to say it lasted less than 15 minutes. So how long should a sermon be? There was a presentation put out on one of these TED Talks and it was by the co-founder of Politico. They put out media and news media journalism. And so his job is to keep people's attention in his presentation he described how distracted people are in the digital world. How most people don't read more than one paragraph or even a headline to get the news that they think is important. Basically, he said in the end: keep it short, less is more, and make sure you say what you want them to know up front. So, let me begin by saying this before I lose you. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did before you, so you continue to do. Would this grab your attention? Now for those who are still listening at the end, what was it about Stephen's sermon that worked up such a response from the people who were listening that they were willing to kill him and not just like in the Sunday School lessons where you see them throwing these little pebbles that they have in their hands but big rocks that were used to smash the person to death. What was it about his sermon that could make so many angry and yet at the same time Stephen was able to persuade so many others with his wisdom and the spirit in which he preaches that it says the disciples multiplied greatly in those days and many submitted to the faith. The word we're gonna look at today is the, word, the Greek word kerygma, which is a word that we translate something like proclamation or preaching It means to cry out, to proclaim, or to announce publicly as a herald. From the very beginnings of Jesus' ministry, he was publicly proclaiming something. Something was happening and that he was announcing to the world, and his apostles would continue to announce this message publicly to the point that the core distinction of the Christian movement in the first century was preaching, was that they proclaimed a message about Jesus that changed things. So we've been looking at these words in the book of Acts, how things changed after the resurrection of Jesus, how the witness, the word witness showed the change, how the word boldness showed the change, how the word koinonia showed the change, and now we're looking at proclamation and how this preaching of Stephen showed that something was new, something was different. So how long should a servant sermon be? Well, in the days of the apostle, it says that the apostle Paul at one point preached so long into the evening past midnight that a man who was sitting by in a windowsill fell asleep and tumbled out of the window from the second story and died. Now, thankfully, the Apostle Paul came out and healed him and brought him back to life, which I wouldn't expect to do if I put you to sleep, but I'm thankful you're all sitting on the first story. In fact, later on, Luther would talk about the length of sermons in the time of the Reformation. Sermons were getting to go so long because they had so much to say, they would get up to two hours or three hours long to the point he, Martin Luther offered young minister the advice that when someone keeps prattling on and can no longer stop, that's a bad sign. They would actually install hourglasses by the pulpits that would trickle by to tell the preacher when to stop. They were supposed to be an hour long, but the craftsmen were out of the pews, and the ones that they've recovered actually only lasted 45 minutes. So have you set your watch yet? And maybe you're wondering when we're gonna get to the text. It says that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was preaching. Something happened and what we're gonna look at is that proclamation isn't so much about how long it is but about what it is. Proclamation is the event of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. In which God's revelation of himself and his story in scripture intersects with God's revelation in our lives and in our stories. So that it's not just information, but it's life-changing, heart-changing work on the part of a preacher and the Holy Spirit. So that God is going to intersect this world of Stephen with your world and show where God is working today. And when that happens, when that event happens, a proclamation, there's a reaction. There's a reaction to God. And that reaction can be many different ways. When God cuts to the heart. In our text, the reaction is to kill the one that's preaching. What makes a sermon, then, is the wisdom and work of the Holy Spirit. And the way that this is done in the book of Acts is how wisdom preaching lays out the stories of God that people are familiar with. When Stephen is preaching to Jews, when Peter is preaching to Jews, he's preaching stories that are familiar. Texts from the Old Testament that they would have grown up with, that they would have heard taught in their synagogues and by their rabbis, But then as they're going along, they're saying, yep, yep, I've heard this one. Yep, that text is familiar. Yep, I learned it in Sunday school. Then all of a sudden, it hits a point where it turns a corner and Jesus comes in. And then all these texts that they thought they knew are changed, not that they're changed from what they originally were, but they're changed in the sense they bring on a new meaning and power found in the resurrection of Jesus and people are caught off guard stephen does this by laying out his family heritage now you might get to the story of stephen and think it's too long it's the longest sermon in the book of acts now if i were to preach it for you and read through it it probably would only last five to ten minutes but it's the longest sermon in the book of acts And you might start to get into this and say, Abraham and and Joseph and Moses, and either you say, well, I've heard all these stories before, or you say, I don't know any of these stories, so you're kind of lost. So he preaches these stories, these patterns, but he does it in a way of highlighting certain things that God does in the Old Testament in each of these stories. There's patterns so that when he gets to you, the people in the pew, or the people on the Jewish council, he's going to say, now let me show you where this pattern of God's spirit is happening in your setting. First, you have the pattern of God's appearing and calling, in the example of Abraham. You have the pattern of afflictions and sojourning in Joseph and Israel. You have the pattern of rescue. And you have the pattern of resist- resistance and rebellion it begins with abraham leaving babylon to go where god wants him to go and it ends with god's people going back to babylon where it all started because they're in exile now stephen is addressing two charges that the people have brought against him the Jewish council has put him on trial, just like they put Jesus on trial, and they brought two charges. The first charge is that he's blasphemed Moses. He's speaking against Moses and his teachings and his customs, and he's introducing new things. The second charge is that he's blaspheming the temple. So these are the two core centerpieces of Jewish faith and religion, the law and the temple. What Stephen does is first he breaks down and addresses the first charge against Moses and that's in verses 2 through 43 and then he addresses the second charge against the temple in verses 44 to 48. First he lays out what he believes and teaches about God's work through Moses. He starts with Abraham and shows that Abraham was sent out by God's calling. He was a sojourner and a wanderer. He was helped along by God's word and promise, even though he never received the land that God promised to give him. And he became the father of many nations. So that continues on into Joseph's life, his grandchild. And Joseph was also called out. His brothers were jealous. They sent him into slavery. They wanted to get rid of him. We heard about that story in VBS. And he became a slave in Egypt, living there for many years. But, Stephen says, God was with him. God rescued him out of all his afflictions, and he became one of Pharaoh's favorite and wisest counselors, and was appointed to be the ruler, second in charge over all of Egypt and Pharaoh's house. Then he moves to Moses and said, Moses got a calling from God. And he was sent out into the wilderness for 40 years. And he was out there because his people had rejected him. It says that early on in Moses' life, he tried to settle a quarrel between two Israelite brothers. He ended up killing an Egyptian. And the Israelite brothers said, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses is sent into exile. He lives out there for 40 years by Mount Sinai until God appears with him to him to rescue him and bring him into his purpose. Then Moses comes to the people and he leads them out into exile, into the wilderness, into sojourning. God calls them, they go out, and for 40 years are living in the wilderness. So he says, you rejected Moses, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? But this man God sent both as ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but they thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, (coughs) saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven. Notice he says, this is the Moses of whom God said, I will raise up a prophet like you. Do you see the pattern emerging? god calls a leader the people sojourn and are tested god rescues them and they rebel against him now you could take this very same pattern these four things and plug jesus right in here which is ultimately what stephen is getting at and they know it (laughs) and you plug jesus right into this story what happens Jesus calls the people to lead them out through wilderness, through exile, which they're in. Jesus lives through their afflictions. He lives with their afflictions. He rescues them through his healing, through his preaching, through his death and resurrection. And what do they do? They rebel against him. They don't want this leader. They don't like the type of preaching, the message he's giving them, because it doesn't fit with the system of righteousness and power that they've already put into place through Moses and the temple. And he's threatening to undo all of that. So just like Moses and just like the prophets before him, Jesus becomes the same but the greater fulfillment of this pattern. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit of Stephen. And then when he addresses the temple charge, he says, our fathers had the tent until David, the tent in the wilderness where they worshiped. David found favor in the sight of God and wanted to build him a temple. And Solomon, David's son, built him the temple. The same temple that they're paying homage to today. And yet, it says in Isaiah, The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. He's not here because we built this church. (coughs) Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So regarding the first charge about Moses, he says that they crafted things at their own hands to worship. And regarding the temple, he says they built the temple with their own hands and are worshiping it. He says, you are a stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, and you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And so you killed the chosen one, Jesus. Who should make Jesus a ruler and judge over any of us? Who among us can see our own stiff neck, our own stubborn heart, that also resists the Holy Spirit. The same pattern that's extended into the life of Stephen comes right into our life. When God appears and calls us in faith, when he brings us into affliction and sojourner, when he rescues us, and yet, at the end of the day, do we appreciate it? Do we realize it? Do we live as if Jesus is alive? our Redeemer, our Ruler. Do we remember that Jesus is the Ruler of Heaven and Earth? Or do other things take our attention away? Do other things draw our heart away? Do other things become more important than what Jesus has already said in his Word? If we stiffen up, when it seems that God is changing things, or doing a new thing, or revealing something new, then that hardness and pride will never allow the message to get through. What makes a sermon work is when God's story in the scripture intersects with your story, and he breaks down that barrier, he loosens up that stiff neck, He humbles your posture so that all you can say is, what can I now do? Which is the other reaction to Stephen's preaching and Peter's preaching and Paul's preaching. They didn't all try to kill them. At Pentecost, it says they were cut to the heart also there. But when they were cut to the heart, they responded, what can I do? And Peter said, Repent. Now at the end of time, God is pouring out his spirit so that the story which Stephen began is continued to live through us. The temple and Moses are fulfilled in Jesus so that the spirit has gone out into the preaching of the gospel to all nations two thousand years later it continues to challenge our stiff necks our proud and uncircumcised hearts and our rebellious nature to strip away all of the idols that we make with our hands and our lives or hold in our hands or worship in our places of living and to instead put into its place that burning bush that is alive with god Speaking, guiding, teaching us, and forgiving us for all of our sins. Stephen entered into Jesus' sandals. And what you see happening at the end is that Stephen is walking the steps of Jesus. So that the story of Luke, where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, is being lived in Acts by Stephen being martyred, and following Jesus. So when Stephen is about to die, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Quoting from Luke chapter 23, verse 46, the words that Jesus said on the cross. And then again, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Quoting Luke 23, 34, where Jesus said the same of his enemies. There's only one difference. When Jesus prayed from the cross, he prayed to his father. When Stephen prays at his death, he prays to Jesus, which shows us that Jesus has a new place now in God's kingdom through his resurrection to take the throne, to be in charge. And when heaven is opened, when you can see past the nonsense, the corruption and the sin we see in this world, This is what you see, Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father, your Lord, even if you should die for what you believe in. A sermon should be long enough that it reveals who God is and gets from your head to your heart to intersect God's story with your story. I'm glad that at the end of this sermon, so far, no one's picked up any stones or big black hymnals, because I think you could do some damage with those as well. But now we should see that it's not beyond expectation that a preacher of God's word should suffer for what he's saying in the pulpit today. That there are things that we have to say from the pulpit and in your personal lives that show something is different with these people. And that's gonna get a reaction when God intersects your world and your life. It's gonna get a reaction. Sometimes that reaction's gonna be good, where people are compelled to think about these things and God, submit to him, and maybe even come to church with you. And others will not. Others will resist. Others will have arguments and excuses. But in all humility, like Stephen, we say, well, this is the pattern. This is the story. And Jesus has come to make it complete. And if we believe that, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified, and if we believe Jesus said, follow me, we know this witness will live on, even if you should be martyred and have to die for what we're saying. We should keep in mind that the proclamation is not always the same for every people. Just a side note that when Stephen addresses these people, he's addressing Jews who know the Old Testament. You also have Peter who addresses Gentiles who fear God in a different way. And Paul who addresses Gentiles who know nothing about God, and he addresses them in a whole different way. But there's a common theme that you can bring home into your conversations and that is that jesus is the righteous one who has risen and is ruling heaven and earth that is the proclamation that is the charisma of the gospel amen